How's everybody doing? Good. Hear me okay? All right. All right. All right. The mic's not working. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> How many of you guys first time here at Prepper Camp? Oh, I love it. Okay. How many were here for the very first Prepper Camp 10 years ago? Oh, that's cool. All right. How many of you were here for my presentation last year? Okay. Oh, you heard me last year too? Okay. I was, if it was only him, I was going to tell him he had to leave, but I won't do that to you guys. So. <laughs> What's that? No, I, I kind of like him. I'll keep him around for a bit. So, All right. So my name is uh, Toolman Tim, and I am from a long ways away, a place that's closer to Santa Claus than you guys. Alberta, Canada. So, <laughs> oh, we got to go back just a little bit here. Sorry, guys. Oh, yeah, here we go. You know what? We're going to start over. I apologize. I don't like technology that much. There we go. Thank you. Oh, I won't touch this anymore. All right, we're good. Toolman Tim, Tim Cook. I got a wife, five kids, four daughters, and... Uh, you probably wonder why I'm up here talking to you about repairedness and the art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner. I'm gonna fill you in. First off, what I want to do is, uh, I'm not gonna, I might teach you how to fix a couple things. We might talk about that a little bit, but really what I wanna do is empower you or teach you how to learn how to do those things. Because most people, and it doesn't necessarily mean all of you because there's a gentleman here who has way more experience than I'll ever have. Most of you, when you look at home maintenance, you think, wow, I can't do this. I've never done it. It all looks like magic or, you know, inside baseball. You just don't know what it is, right? But the people who know a lot about it as well, what I want to end up doing is empowering every one of you to take a few steps or one or two steps up from the home maintenance journey. Now, as preppers, what do we love to do? Anybody know? Yeah. Buy stuff? Did somebody say buy stuff? Thank you. <laughs> that made my life way easier. There we go. All right. We do, we love to buy things. So at the end, there'll be a list of a few things that I really like, just to make everybody happy. But <laughs> what we're gonna talk about today mostly is skills and how the, the skills and the mindset that we need. Because you know we're really cool with being our own first responder, or at least we know that idea. We wanna, we wanna be our own first aid. You know, We need to know how to stop the bleed, for instance, right? Most of us wanna be our own food pantry. We're like, okay, I got a lot of, you know, freeze-dried food all over the place. That's what we want, right? Not many people talk about being our own maintenance guy. And what happens? I'm not even gonna say some worst case scenario. What happens if you have a nasty hurricane come through and all of a sudden you can't hire a roofer for the next six months because they're doing every subdivision over that way? This kind of thing, practical stuff. So how did I get like this? One of my favorite sayings is abject poverty is a great motivator. <laughs> and it's uh, unfortunately true, fortunately true, but I kind of, I look at my kids sometimes and I'm like, I just want to impart with you all the wisdom that I have. The problem is, is that wisdom comes with screwing up, <laughs> or I like to say experience, right? I can teach them things. I can teach you guys things. I can show you, you know, how to do it, but until you've actually done it, screwed it up a few times, cussed under your breath once or twice, then you have the wisdom to know, oh, maybe I can do this a little bit better. But it's all about empowering yourself, right? So many, many years ago, I took a four-year university course in religion. I put it to perfect use as soon as I graduated. I got a job working nights at Dairy Queen. So, anyway, but what I did while I was in Dairy Queen was I did the best darn job I could ever do. I treated every customer like they were the best customer. And that's all I knew what to do. One day a guy comes through and he says to me, I'd like to hire you. I said, where? And he says, at the local hardware store. I thought for about five seconds, I don't know anything about hardware. And so I said, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> and so six months later, he comes back again. And the whole time we were talking, that we were around, he would, uh, he would always come back up on mind. And he would say in my head, I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe this would be a really good education. And so six months later, he comes back and he says, hey, I'd like to hire you. And I thought, you know what? What better way to get the best education on the systems of the home, the stuff you can use. I'd have access to all the contractors out there, excuse me, <clears throat> and just have a way to learn things. Because I was a useless Gen Xer who thought my dad and grandfather knew nothing. 
<laughs> so I finally realized, well, I probably can't learn from my dad, but maybe I can learn from these complete strangers. <laughs> so at the same time I started at the hardware store, I realized, oh my goodness, my dad does know a whole lot of stuff. And so I started picking his brain on these things as well. But more importantly, I met the love of my life. Her name's Becky, and she's still my rock, my support. I mean, she's the one who is at home running the businesses while I'm taking this crazy 36-day road trip to a bunch of different events. So she's incredible. But what happened, what's the easiest way to go broke? Anybody know? Have kids. Thank you. Yes. So we didn't just have one. We had five. And uh, we were working on, at the time, $1,100 a month is what we had for income. And I think back on, I don't even know how, I couldn't even buy groceries almost for $1,100 for a family of seven when you included me and Becky, right? So what ended up happening was absolutely everything I wanted to do, I couldn't afford. So if, if the pump for the plumbing went, I couldn't hire anybody. It was desperation, right? I had to learn from it. So I wanted to do, we, we moved in just to a rental because it's all we could afford at the time and we were responsible for doing the mowing. And I couldn't even afford a whippersnapper, weed eater, whatever you want to call it, and a push mower. So there was a dude at the store, his name was Terry, the most handy guy I'd ever met, and he would fix anything for people. They would bring in weed whippers and he would fix them. The problem is, is that by the time he ordered the parts, put the markup on it, and his labor, people didn't want to pay it sometimes because a $100 weed whipper, $40 in parts, $40 in labor, so they'd just say throw it in the dumpster. So Terry'd look at me and he'd say, hey Tim, I said, I know you can't afford a weed whipper, but I set one out by the dumpster. A customer told me, just throw it away. And he goes, I, I'll tell you this, if I order you the parts, they're gonna be $40. If you go on eBay, you can buy a carb kit for three bucks. So, now I didn't know what a carb kit was or how to rebuild a carburetor or anything like that. So he'd give me instructions. And so I went home and I stripped it all apart. Did I mention I did it on my wife's dining room table? <laughs> and I taught myself how to not put a carburetor together right for two or three times. And eventually I learned how to put it together for the proper time. I think I might even have ruined a couple of the diaphragms a couple of times, but I had to. We bought a 130-year-old house. You remember the money pit with Tom Hanks? Yeah, um, that was based on a true story. So <laughs> anyway, again, the place was falling down around itself. And if I wanted to make it look nice, it was up to me. So all the windows were drafty. We lived on the Bay of Fundy, salt water, cold air, all winter blowing through those windows. So I scraped up enough money to buy a bunch of insert windows. But of course, I couldn't afford to hire anybody to do it. So what did I do? I learned how to put windows in from the inside out because I didn't want to be up a ladder on three stories. And so I had a guy kind of, you know, I'd pick his brain and I would learn. Because again, we were broke as a joke and we couldn't do it. So eventually we dug ourselves into a financial hole that was a mess. It was a mess anyway. And I decided it was time I needed to do something else. So I hopped on a plane, no money in my pocket, and I flew to Alberta. So that would be the equivalent of Maine to Montana. Left my family, my wife, five kids, and the 130-year-old house to look after it. I was gone for about six months, getting work, making money, finally to the point where I could bring my family out with me. And uh, so I, I slept on a fold-up hospital cot in the living room of my in-law's mobile home. That's what I did until I could find a place that we could live in. So she came out and all I knew was I wanted to do anything but working in a hardware store because I'd done it for long enough. So I worked in the oil patch and I was making really good money. So my wife comes out, she's working in the oil patch, making really good money. We pay all our bills off. We decide we're gonna treat ourselves and we're gonna take a vacation. So we're gonna go to Vegas. The day before we're to fly out to Vegas, her work calls and they said, hey, I know you're on vacation, but do you mind popping by for just a minute? And her being the good employee, she goes in and gets her pink slip. They laid everybody off. That was the day that the worldwide price oil collapsed. And within a year, I was unemployed as well. <laughs> so you can imagine, right? So I thought, what can I do? I'm not gonna go to a hardware store, so I'll start a business. So I started a handyman business because if there's nothing else, I knew how to fix junk. So I did, and I was successful and lived happily ever after. No, I, I wasn't. I failed miserably and had to go back to working at a hardware store because I didn't know anything else. <laughs> So I did, that's what I did. And I went to a hardware store. It was actually a farm supply, but it's the same stuff I knew how to do. But you know what I did? I kept that business running. And the entire time I would take on things like snow. You guys know what snow is here? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. I'd take on snow contracts. And so in the morning I'd go out and clear snow. On my coffee break, I'd clear snow. In the evening I'd clear snow. Eventually I built 
what I've called all seasons maintenance, which was a handyman business that became my full-time income. In a year to the day, I walked away from that hardware store job and have never gone back. And I just sold that business August 31st of this year, seven years after I launched it and kept the property management into things. So it's a long way around to tell you that I knew nothing. I probably still don't know a whole lot, but I failed a lot and I've learned. So I'm gonna share some of that stuff with you guys. How many of you guys are movie fans? Oh, I thought I came to learn about repairedness. Okay, we're good. Bill Murray? All right, favorite Bill Murray movie? Oh, that's always a good one. Dig deeper, Stripes? Yeah, anybody remember What About Bob? Okay. All right, everybody loves What About Bob. I love What About Bob. Almost everybody's forgot about What About Bob. That was a mouthful. Let's do that again. So anyway, Bob, he's an agoraphobic, doesn't want to leave the house. Feels anytime he steps out of his comfort zone, he's scared to death. So he's also really hard, a hard dude to deal with. And so the doctors keep kind of pushing him along because they don't want to deal with him. Finally, he ends up in the doctor's office, Richard Dreyfuss's office. Richard Dreyfuss is ready to go on vacation. He says, I just need help. I, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. And Richard Dreyfuss is getting really mad. And he says, here, take this book and go. <laughs> he goes, what is it? It's baby steps. So Bill, Bob, adopts baby steps as his mantra. So he picks that book up and he's like, I can do this. And he says, baby steps across the office floor, baby steps down the hallway, baby steps around the corner, and baby steps into the elevator. And as he steps in there, the camera cuts away and he just has this great big smile on his face. I did it. So that's what I want you guys to remember while I'm talking today. Remember baby steps, because the cool thing about baby steps is, whether you are an absolutely seasoned construction veteran or somebody who bought their very first home, baby steps will always give you improvement. So that's what we're gonna work on today. And as soon as we get that to work, there we go. So where do we start? We start on building the toolbox. So most people have tools around the house, you know, maybe a few. Yeah, all right, here's the deal. Every time I do this presentation, I ask people, do you have all the tools to do maintenance around the house? And they'll be like, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> and then I'll say, all right, well, here's the deal. I have them too, but the drill is in the basement. My tape measure, I don't know what I did with it last time I built shelves for my wife. My son took my cordless battery packs over to his house and my kids were, <laughs> I don't know what they were doing playing with the adjustable wrench, but it's in the backyard somewhere. So when the power goes out, where do you want to have your power outage kit? by your bedside table because you're going to wake up in the middle of the night with dark. You want to, at least somewhere nearby, you want to have it in a central location. You want to know where your flashlights are, where your batteries are, all of that kind of stuff, right? So the first thing, and this is dead simple, but most people don't do it, is have a dedicated toolbox for doing things around your home. And that's simple. I mean, this is things like a hammer and a drill. And if you don't know the difference, it's cool because I still use a hammer and a drill as the same interchangeably. So... Have, have, sorry, <laughs> I crack myself up sometimes. So anyway, so yeah, have a basic toolkit. So you wanna start with a hammer, a drill, multi-bit screwdriver, tape measure. I really like a carpenter square because they're good for anything. Just make a straight line and cut. And if you want a really good, perfect cut with a skill saw, put your square down, put the shoe or whatever you wanna call it of the skill saw against it and push and cut through. You're gonna get a, almost a table saw straight cut using just one of those. So have that kind of stuff, that's a good start. Then from there, beyond just tools, and that list is gonna change for everybody. People say, well, what do I need for a list? And I'm like, I could give you a list, but you need to take some time and think about the things you're gonna need in your home. Have some supplies as well. So not just tools, but electrical tape, Teflon tape, uh, you know, electrical connectors, all of the different lubrications, you know, if you have something that will move and you don't want it to, you use duct tape. And if you have something that won't move that you do want it to, you use lubrication. I like fluid film, that's my favorite. But some people like WD-40. So have some of that on hand as well. And something that we're maybe... Duct tape? Oh yes, duct tape. Oh man, see I've been talking about duct tape all weekend and now I forgot. <laughs> so you wanna come up and finish? I'm from Wisconsin. That's good. Oh, <laughs> where in Wisconsin, darling? Way up north. How far north? Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're getting up in my area too. So I spent a few nights in Madison over the years. So yeah. Yes, go ahead. 
I love white lithium. You spray that on? Anyway, it reminds me of uh, Frank's red hot sauce, you know? <laughs> anyway. All right, so from there, and I don't mean to eat, don't eat it. If anybody goes home and eats white lithium grease, I'm not liable. I'm Canadian, you can't sue me anyway. So, all right. So safety gear, that's one thing we're bad as prep, or maybe not everybody, but I'm bad. Let's put it this way. So I'm gonna tell you another story because I'm up here and I get to tell you the stories. So one time many years ago, my wife would say, Tim, you need to put safety glasses on. And I go, yeah, yeah, I hate them. They make my eyes sweat, my head hot, everything. So two hours later, she's taking me to the emergency room to get sawdust out of my eyeball. And that, if that would have been the end of it, it would have been fine. But eight days later, we were doing it again. And the doctor was not real happy with me because I didn't wear safety gear. So please remember, for the love of everything, remember safety gear. Eyeglasses, and you can get these at Dollar General. You know, they're not that bad. Eyeglasses, hearing muffs or ear, ear protection, a breathing mask, and gloves. Get yourself some good gloves. Uh, it won't always solve everything, but many years ago when we bought that first house, the 130-year-old money pit, I discovered two weeks in that we didn't have a functioning septic line. It actually ran under a government road. It was made out of old four-foot sections of octagonal clay pipe. You can imagine. Yeah, so I took, I decided I was going to fix it myself. I didn't realize it collapsed, so I went and I, I got a uh, snake. I rented a snake from a place, you know, for scooping out the lines. And I'm pushing. I'm getting more and more and more stressed. And we're going to talk about this as we go along. And I, uh, I wasn't wearing gloves, so that's pertinent to this part of the story. And I'm going along, I'm going along, and all of a sudden I go, boom, like that. And I look down, and my thumbnail is straight up in the air, 90 degrees. So I want you to remember that every time you think you shouldn't wear gloves, because I'm an idiot, and don't be like me. <laughs> all right. Didn't come up? Skill set? Yeah, yeah, it's there. That's new. Yeah, no worries. So first thing you're going to do is you're going to build a toolbox. Next, we're going to build a skill set. So how do we do this? How do we learn how to build a skill set? And this could be a lot of ways, but the first one is, you ever hear the, uh, in, what's that? The 100%, absolutely. But there's the old adage, you know, um, you listen, you do with help, and then you do by yourself. And that's one of the best ways to learn a new skill. I've told this story almost all the time, but when I was first starting my handyman business, one of the big things was I wanted to do everything for anybody. And so a lady calls me up one time and she's like, can you clean windows? And in my head, I'm like, no, I can't. And out loud, I say, yes, I can. And I'm not sure why I did it, but <laughs> no, for the next two weeks, and I know you'd think windows, right? They'd be easy. But I'm telling you, if a customer's gonna complain about something, it's gonna be about windows because they have to look out them every single day, which is good. So I went home and I went to YouTube University for the next two weeks before I did it and I would watch videos, and then I'd run out front and I'd try a technique. I think my neighbors thought I was insane, but for the next week solid, I had the cleanest picture window in the entire town of Provost, Alberta. So that was one way that I would do it. Another way, I had a good buddy, Sean, and he calls me up one day and he's like, hey, I'm gonna put metal roofing or metal siding on a building. Would you like to help? And I'm like, absolutely. He goes, it pays 15 an hour. I was like, well, I would have done it for free, but since you're offering, I'll take your money. And so that's how I learned how to do metal roofing, metal siding, the same kind of concept. So the next year, my wife's like, you know what I'd like, honey? This always starts with something good. She's like, I'd like a covered deck out back. So I built her a covered deck and I was able to do the siding or the, the roofing on the roof. So again, if you know somebody, volunteer to help them out, somebody who's an expert. Now it doesn't always work for everybody, but it can help. Now, if you're in a bad situation and you have to hire an expert, when you call a plumber in, first off, be on a first name basis with your plumber. It sucks, but it's a good thing. You don't want to see them all the time because they cost you money, but it's a good thing to do. So when they come, feel free to ask them questions. Don't be the guy that's telling the plumber he's doing it wrong, but talk to a plumber out of a spirit of learning. You know, and they'll tell you, you know, as long as you're not being, hey, I think you should do that counterclockwise, they're going to hit you with the wrench really quick. But that's another way. So just talk to experts. Hang out at the hardware store. I, a lot of guys just go down there to solve the world's problems. But if you have an issue, when you go in to buy something, those guys behind the counter, if it's the old style hardware store with the, you know, not the big, maybe not Home Depot or Lowe's or necessarily, but the small town hardware stores, those dudes know what they're talking about. And if they don't, they know guys that know what they're talking about. So tap into your local resources to ask people. 
And you're all, you know, people are like, I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask. Well, that's what they're there for. They'd rather show you how much they know or tell you how much they know, whatever, than to just stand there all day and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. So let them do their job and they'll help you. All right. Next, we want to build our own hardware store. So this is where the stuff comes in a little bit. But <laughs> so I have a storage container in my backyard and it is, uh, it was right up against my garage and I got some come-alongs and stuff and I moved it over about 12 feet so that it made this big storage area between my garage and the storage container. And I decided, guess what? This is gonna be my special place to put all of my nice organized lumber. As of right now, it's just a pile of lumber sitting there, but I had good intentions. So, <laughs> but I do have a lot of lumber on hand. So what do I say when you become your own building supply? Because if you don't have any plywood, for instance, and a rock goes through your window in a hurricane or a tree branch or whatever, what are you gonna cover it up with? Doesn't mean you have to have the best stuff, it just means if you have a piece of lumber left over after a job, save it. If you have some plumbing supplies, you know, if you have a couple pieces of pipe, don't return that stuff because it's gonna get you out of a pinch. Laminate flooring, or if you ever decide to do your own flooring, the first thing people would always do after they'd finished, they'd have a box and a half left, they'd come back to the hardware store and they'd say, hey, I want to return this box. And I would look at them and I would say, I'll do it, but it's not a good idea. And they say, why? So I'd explain that in 10 years, when your son drops a hot poker on that living room floor and you want to find a piece of that flooring to match up with that, you're going to come back and I'm going to laugh at you. Maybe not to your face, but afterwards. So always keep that stuff. My dad called me up one day. He goes, Tim, it finally paid off. And I'm like, what? He goes, you know that box of 16 by 16 ceiling tiles I've had in the attic since 1978? <laughs> he said, we had a water leak and I couldn't buy any new ones, so I had to use them. I'm like, all right, I'm not saying necessarily hold on to it for, you know, four and a half decades, but think about the things that have value to you. Think about the things that probably if you did return them after a job, they, what's five or $10 in your pocket, right? For the most part, save it. Things like, again, like uh, I buy stacks of, electrical tape because I lose rolls like that. I lose them faster than a Bic pen or a Bic lighter. So what I do is one roll's a buck, a pack of 10 is $4. So that way I can lose seven and I still have three. So buy it that way, but become your own hardware store. That's important. And yep, it's okay. There we go. Get to know the systems of your home. So what does that mean? That means that when I bought that 130 year old home, one of the things I did was I went into the basement and I would just walk around and look at things. My wife thought I was a little bit batty, but what it does is you get used to things, right? When you go to a bank, when you get a job as a bank, and if you wanna learn, like they do the fraud de detection where you can learn what a, a fake bill is, counterfeit money, they send you away for a two or three day course. You know what? You don't ever touch a counterfeit bill that entire time. You spend the entire time holding, touching, looking at real bills. So that when something out of the ordinary shows up at your branch, you're gonna notice it just like that. You might not know why, but your brain's gonna tell you something's wrong. That's what you do with your home. Get to know your house, don't ignore it. Go in the basement if you're, do kind of an ear, eye, nose, kind of assessment of everything. If your furnace, listen to your furnace every so often, because if you're not normally listening to your furnace, all of a sudden it's making a big noise, you might catch it before the belt shreds and ruins the pulley and the everything, right? Or plumbing, you go downstairs and you look, oh yeah, I have copper pipe. You see a little damp spot all of a sudden up there. Well, that could save you from a catastrophic flood when you're in Cancun for seven days and you come back and you got $50,000 worth of damage in your basement. So be proactive with that kind of stuff. Look around, know the systems, know what type of pipe you have. And this kind of stuff can be really you know, not dull, but yeah, boring, whatever if you don't, but it's the type of thing, I said everyday stuff that helps you a bit. So know what you need to have to fix plumbing, know what type of copper you have, what type of plastic pipe, and stock that kind of stuff, but get familiar with the systems of your home. And then this one, again, did it show up? Yeah, make a, yeah, somebody likes that one. All right, good. This is me, because if I don't write it down on a piece of paper, it doesn't happen. So my wife will be like, hey, how long's it been since you ran the generator? And I'm like, Tuesday? And she's like, which Tuesday? Yeah, I understand. But so again, this is very personal. People have asked me to make blank schedules for them. And I'm like, here's the deal. I don't know what your house is. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you need to upgrade. So one thing I look at is a generator. I used to say every month, I say every two to three months, it needs to be ran for 15, 20 minutes, 
to get it hot, put a load on it. That's the best way to make sure a generator will run. You know what the best way to make sure it won't run? Don't ever start it. <laughs> because when you need it, it's not gonna be ready for you. So put that on your maintenance schedule. For us, of course, we live where the cold will eat your face very quickly. So we have a hot tub out back. The last time I clean it is probably the late October because if I try to pump it out <laughs> and fill it in the middle of January, I'm not gonna have a hot tub left. I'm gonna have something that doesn't hold water anymore. So making sure you have a regular schedule for the maintenance in your home. So go around, know the systems, things like your furnace filter. And if you're like, I didn't know my furnace has a filter, you better go home and check it when we're done because <laughs> It doesn't take very long, depending on what the weather's like and what, what the uh, dust conditions are like to really mess up a furnace filter. So put that on your list, whatever it happens to be. All right, so that was what we need to build. Next, we're gonna talk about shooting trouble. I mean troubleshooting, yes. So we're gonna talk about how to get good at fixing this kind of stuff. So many years ago, I took a job at a computer repair place for about six months. And there was a dude there, his name was Ivan. And I said, I don't know how to fix computers. I said, I don't even know how to troubleshoot. And he goes, that's cool. He says, troubleshooting's just trying anything and everything until something works. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, well, yeah. I mean, he said, but you'll get better at it as you go because the more you do it, the more you learn from it, the next time you know just a little bit more so that you know where to start the next time. So how do we learn how to troubleshoot? Because that was something nobody ever teaches in school. So first off, keep it low stress. So if you wanna learn something, when are you gonna do it? You don't wanna be learning how to plug a pipe when it's spraying in your face on Super Bowl Sunday and you're thinking, I gotta call a plumber and it's gonna be $1,200. You wanna learn how to plug a pipe on a sunny Sunday afternoon on your workbench, in your shop with a beer in your hand. That's when you wanna learn how to fix pipe because low stress, your brain brings it all in, makes it easy. High stress situations, all you're gonna do is make a bigger mess. All right, shut it down. Where are your shutdowns? Everybody know where your main water shutoff is in your home? Good, oh, <laughs> fair enough. All right, I'm gonna to talk to you after. <laughs> so if you don't, or if you're a young person who's just moved into a rental, before you even sign the lease, ask the landlord, hey, where is the main shutoff? If you have your own place and you don't know, figure it out because here's the deal. The last thing you wanna do is try to find out how to shut the water off when it's flowing all over the place. Teach yourself this. I, a guy way smarter than me one time said, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your, low, your highest level of training. And so if you don't know where your shutoff is right now, I'll bet you you won't be able to find it when the water's spraying everywhere. But if I told you to get down on a nice, cool, calm afternoon, you'd probably find it fairly quick. So know where your shutoffs are. Another cool tip, one of the ones I love, any of you guys have natural gas here? Propane, okay. So if you have a main shutoff on the outside of your home, most of them don't have a handle on them. They're just an up and down shutoff that you need a wrench for, especially with natural gas. So if that's the case, go get yourself an adjustable wrench, adjust it to the size that it needs, get yourself a, a key ring and a chain and hang it on the pipe right next to it. And leave it there for 150 years because if it rusts solid, at least you know no kid will ever come in and adjust it to the size it shouldn't be. So just have it there in case you need it to turn off your natural gas. Also, another free tip for preppers, all of us, if you don't have your electrical panel labeled, label your electrical panel. It will save you so much stress. It took me four hours when we bought our house and I was probably two years late doing it, but four hours is a pretty good investment. Once you have it, you, I go to my wife all the time, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I labeled my electrical panel and she just tells me to shut up, so. But it's, it's important, trust me. <laughs> all right, so how do we do this kind of stuff? So a couple summers ago, again, my wife comes to me and she says, honey, I don't like the color of the house. I'm like, oh, that's good. And uh, I said, I don't wanna paint it because it's pretty old. She said, would you like to put siding up? I said, I don't know how to put vinyl siding up. She goes, but you can do it. And she's, she is my biggest, supporter but she also you know wants things done so I did it but I'd never done siding never even touched it before in my life and do you know how I did it again YouTube University but I didn't go on and watch videos on how to side an entire home what did I do the first thing I did was I watched a video on how to hang starter strip and then I learned how to hang corners and then I learned how to put up regular siding and then I learned how to put J channel around windows and then I learned 
how not to cut 45 degree angles for the peak of your roof, and then I learned how to do it right. So that's what I did, one step at a time, and you know what, three years later, it's all still on the home. So it looks really good, but that's how I did it, step by step. And, and I'm honest, like when I say I couldn't do it, it wasn't because I didn't want to do it, it's because I didn't feel empowered to do it. And my wife had to remind me, honey, you can do this kind of stuff. Plus she gets a nice looking home out of it, so. All right, I like this one. This is the five stages of grief. I, nope, I meant home repair. So this is what happens when your significant other calls you and tells you there is an emergency in the home that you don't know how to deal with. So let's work our way through them. First one's trepidation. This is where you are scared to death. All you can think about is how much is this gonna cost? How am I gonna fix it? Who am I gonna call? You got a thousand thoughts running through your brain and you're like, I don't know what to do. And you just freeze, scared to death. That's bad enough. Then along comes irritation. This is where you're just mad. You're still thinking about how much it's gonna cost, but you're not thinking about solutions. You're like, what am I gonna do? I, I gotta go to work, all of that. You're just gonna be ticked right off. Anybody wanna guess what the next one is? <laughs> Resignation, this is where you give in. You're like, well, the water's gushing. How in the world am I ever, I, I gotta do it. Nobody else is gonna come and fix it for me. I can stand here all day and get sprayed in the face like an idiot, or I can resign myself to try to do something. So, and I did that again. Motivation, this is the important one, but it's not the last step, because I've seen a lot of people get motivated, but they don't finish a job. It's really exciting to start something, but when you get into the doldrums of doing it for a while, you need one more thing. Determination. So when I moved to, the, to Alberta and I was working in the oil patch, I worked on the oil rig, we had this big boom that would send, look like a Chinese finger trap down to catch the piece of rod. And if you were lucky, you'd do it in one shot. If you weren't, you were there for three days and it would take 12 or 13 attempts. So I had this old Newfoundland guy, his name was Sandy, he was my operator. And I'd always be motivated. First thing in the morning, we'd start at six o'clock in the morning and be like, yeah, we're gonna get this every time. And we'd get down and we'd miss it. We'd get down and miss it again. By the third time, I'm like, Sandy, let's just pack it up, call it a day and bring in the big guns. And he's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? But you know what? There was never a time we didn't catch that rod. Sometimes it took two, sometimes it took three days, but Sandy had determination. And that's the difference. You can get motivated to start something, but if you don't give yourself a little determination, you're not gonna get there. So I like that one. That was a, that's always a fun one. So we're gonna talk about when you buy things, when you're doing things, it pays to buy quality. We're gonna talk about this just a little bit because if you're gonna buy tools, buy the best you can buy, within reason, of course. Many, many years ago, when we were broke as a joke, my wife surprised me with a nice new garden shovel and I was really proud of it. And so we had our septic clog up and I needed to get it pumped out and I needed to dig the, the manhole so that they can get down in there. And so she's out chatting with me while I'm digging away and I looked at her with a big smile on my face and I said, honey, this is the nicest shovel you've ever, and I broke the handle right in half. <laughs> so she said, I guess that wasn't Tim proof now, was it? And I said, no, it wasn't. So now whenever I buy something, she asked me, honey, is that Tim proof or not? And if it's Tim proof, I can buy it. If it's not Tim proof, she says, leave it on the shelf. So I have to buy fiberglass or steel handles for garden tools, buy things that aren't gonna be broken when I'm a bull in a china shop. Maintain things. So your, you know, your garden tools and things. Something that I do, all of my metal, you know, headed garden tools, in the end of the year, I scrape any rust off, spray them off, and then I spray them down with black spray paint. I keep black, red, and white in my garage and I use that for anything metal. The end of the year, I flip my lawnmowers over because I probably neglected them a little bit. I spray them off, I scrape them down, let them dry, and then I spray paint the underside of my mowers red and that helps protect it from some rust. You get yourself some of that Rust-Oleum paint. So just, you know, a little bit of maintenance will go a long way to save all of your gear. And it, it don't cost much. I, of course, I'm cheap, so I buy it when it's on sale. So <laughs> you know what happens, right? Repair things. So. This is part of it. These are the pillars of preparedness. This is kind of what sets you up for success. So learn how to fix things. And it might be something small first. You know, it might be just a, a leaking tap or, you know, a clogged up aerator on a sink. But just learn the small things of repair. Learn how to barter. We talk about this with the community. We talk, we all want to have a, a nice community built together, but teach yourself, learn who the experts are in your community. Learn who the guys are that you can talk with 
and develop these relationships up front. Because you might know a guy who has a tractor with a bush hog who will come in and clear out your field, but he might also need some electrical work done. So know the guys that you can work with, try to barter. It's a good way to get you out of a pinch sometimes. Professionals. So I used to keep a Rolodex of all the, no, we, this is in 1984. I used to keep people in my phone with <laughs> all the professionals. So have a phone number to all the guys for emergencies because there are gonna be things that you can't do and that's okay. So know your local guys, be friendly with them. If they come, they give you a bill as soon as they leave, pay it right then. If the guy did a good job and it's not a real big bill, I'll usually tip him just a little bit because I know, I want him to remember if you're coming back, if I call you again on Super Bowl Sunday and you're about to have a beer with the buddies, I'd really like you to show up, you know? So just stay friendly with the professionals in your area and have a list of the phone numbers and write them down somewhere. Don't, I don't, don't care where, but write them down somewhere. And then salvage. This is probably one of my favorites. So this, I talk about being your own hardware store, but it's also important to know how to use materials that you don't necessarily think of. So my dad was born in 1954 and he grew up on a farm, one of nine kids. Their idea of a treat once a year was an ice cream cone. They didn't have a lot of money. So one day they wanted to build a gate on a fence and his, his father said, David, go up in the junk pile and go grab me an old car tire. He's like, really? So what they did was they cut out chunks of rubber and they'd nail half the side to the post, half the side to the gate and it would work as a hinge. You'd do one or two. So then one day, dad was down at our place and I said, dad, I'd like to fence in this area, but I can't afford a gate. So he said, well, what do you want? I wanted a livestock gate. So he said, let's go find three of the tallest, skinniest trees that we can find. We're gonna cut them down. We're gonna put cross members here so that the, each three beams sit on it. And if you want livestock to go in, you just slide the beam in there like that, slide it back. And I'm like, how'd you know how to do that? And he's like, I grew up poor. So you just had to know how to do this kind of stuff. Simple as that. So I made a list of all the rules of preparedness. These are some of my favorite. So when we bought that 130 year old home, the first time I went into the bathroom in there, I opened the door and I noticed it was just a little bit wobbly. And there was a screw in there that was a little loose on one of the hinges. And my wife would remind me every six weeks that I needed to replace that screw. And I said, don't worry, I'm gonna get around to it until one day I went to open the door and the door come off in my hand. So it would have been a 13 second job to put that screw in, turned out to be like a three hour job because I had to redrill all the holes, move the hinges up. And of course I had to get down off my high horse and you know, not be so mad at myself for a minute, but don't ignore the little things because the little things that'll cost you three cents, five cents, four bucks to fix are gonna cost you a hundred, $200 when everything goes sideways. So remember that. All right, I used to call this one how to eat an elephant and then I got in trouble with PETA, so. No, that's not true, but how, <laughs> this dude here, I found this story and I thought it was way more effective. He's a French guy from, I don't know exactly when, 1950, something like that. He ate an entire Cessna airplane. I know, I, his stomach could handle, I don't know. Anybody wanna guess how he did it? Oh yeah, everybody's with me, all right. Everybody awake? Anybody need to stand up, spin around, do anything? We good? All right. So it was, it was one bite at a time. So when I wanted to do that siding, again, I didn't do the entire house at one time, one bite at a time. Now I'm not gonna eat a Cessna airplane, but this dude was weird. And apparently he liked to eat metal, but he did. He ate an entire little, you know, two, one single seat or two seat, whatever it was, but he did. So that's how you do it. If you're ever thinking, I'm overwhelmed by this job, just think, how would that weird French dude do it? <laughs> just remember that. All right, I love this one. My wife likes this one particularly well. You'll like this story. So part of my business for a long time was securing bank properties, houses that people foreclosed on that walked away from them. So we'd go into empty homes and you didn't know what you were in for. But typically when the people would leave, they would lock the house and there'd be no key to be found. So part of my job was to take a drill, drill into the lock, open the door, remove the lock, put a new lock on. Well, I had this incredibly obstinate deadbolt one day that took me a half an hour to drill through. And my wife could see my blood pressure getting higher and higher and my face was getting redder and redder. And she's like, ah, all right, just leave him alone. And so finally, after half an hour, I finally get that deadbolt drilled out and I open the door to the, the back porch and as I step in, I look to my left and there's my wife already standing inside the house. <laughs> so she says to me, she said, you didn't check the other door, did you, honey? 
so the porch door was unlocked. I didn't check the simplest solution first. So now that doesn't mean the simplest solution is going to work for you every time, but it would have saved me a half an hour that day. How long does it take to run over to a breaker and think, I'm pretty sure that's off. Flick, flick to make sure, right? Or I'm pretty sure that's on and it wasn't and you've just torn apart the entire electric motor and it wasn't a problem. It was just because somebody turned off the breaker when they were working on it, right? So you'll never forget that story. I know you won't. And so always when you're going to do something, do that. You know that dude right there? <laughs> so we were lucky today to be graced by Red Green's presence. It makes me very happy. I, uh, how you doing, Red? <laughs> so this one is more important than anything else. Skills are better than supplies. And we all say that, but if you have a gun and you don't know how to use it, what is it? An expensive club, right? That's really all it is. So you need to learn how to do things. I didn't have any supplies at home because I couldn't afford it. But one day I go down in the basement, a Sunday afternoon, of course, the most expensive day for a plumber. And I see that my hot water tank right above where the pipe comes out was spraying water all over the floor. Bad enough that I either had to shut the water off to the house, fix it, or call somebody. So I knew I ain't gonna be shutting the water off because the family's gonna be ugly at me. I knew I couldn't afford to bring a plumber in, so I had to decide what am I gonna do? So I go to my shop and I start looking around and I find an old bike tire with a tube in it. I pull the tube out, I cut myself a nice big piece of rubber, I wrap it around the pipe three or four times and I put two hose clamps on it. It held up long enough for the, the hardware stores to open up on Monday for me to go in and get the stuff to fix it properly. I tell you that because you can have all the tools in the world. If you don't know how to use them, they're no good to you. But if you've taken the time to learn some of these skills, then everything in the world becomes a supply to you. So you can, if you know how to fix something, you can look around until you realize, yeah, I'm just like those guys that lived on the farm in the 1950s who couldn't go to town if they wanted to. So make sure, you know, once you get that mindset that you've taught yourself the skills, that will help you figure out all of the right things to fix. All right. So I like this one quite a bit, but it used to be a can opener. I broke it and now it's a can't opener. In other words, buy once, cry once. <laughs> and my dad will call me about once a year and he'll be like, I mean, we talk more than that, but about once a year I'll pick up. He's like, Tim, I just bought this awesome tool. And I'm like, that's cool, dad. And he'd always say it pays to buy quality. And it does. Now that doesn't mean to go out and buy an $1,800 table saw if you only need to cut three two by fours, right? But what it does mean is if it's something you're going to use and you're going to use it a lot, buy enough of it or buy quality enough that it's not going to break the first time you go to use it. But remember that buy once, cry once. You don't have to do it for everything, but for all the important things, make sure you buy something quality. All right. So this is the practical stuff. This is a clogged sewer line. I got five of these in here. I was running behind last time, so we're good today. But uh, right there, you guys see that little square knob that's sticking out? That's that can be called a clean out. If you didn't know that, that's cool. But what, a clean out? Yeah, so you, you can open that up. Now, what I've run into on occasion is I've made a homemade sewer snake out of a shop vac and a long piece of hose. It's not the nicest thing in the world. It's not the cleanest thing in the world, but it got the job done. So I got called into a rental one day and they said my sewer line's backed up. So I took a shop vac and a 20 foot length of, you know, kind of accordion hose you'd use for a, uh, a um, deep well pump or whatever kind of pump you want. And I just started shoving it down there and sucking the junk out of it. And eventually I got it free so that it would run free, but it's a kind of a redneck or a repairedness way to, you know, if you don't have the money or worse than that, help isn't around the corner and it can't help you. That's one way to do that. All right, a plug toilet. Quite often when I get called into rentals, it's the same thing, my toilet won't flush. So I go in, I get this call one night from a guy. He's like, my toilet won't flush. I go in and this thing will not flush. So most people try to plunge it. And the first thing I want you to do is learn how to plunge a toilet. And you're like, I know how to plunge a toilet. Well, you may, you may not. But what most people do the first time they try to plunge a toilet is they take that plunger and they go down and they lift as high as they can and they slam it back down. Well, two things, you're gonna make a mess, but number, the second one is, you're not creating suction or pressure. So what you need to do is put that plunger in the toilet, hold it there, and force pressure like this. And as you do it, it will create pressure and hopefully free that through. However, sometimes that doesn't work. So, everybody here know how to use a wrench? Okay, yeah. 
So you may not know this, but basically holding a toilet to the floor is just two nuts. You can take those two nuts off, you can lift your toilet up. I wouldn't always recommend it, but sometimes there can be clogs right in there. And sometimes it's easier to attack it from there than somewhere else. That's kind of a intermediate level skill, but it's worth learning how to do. And then you see, oh, darling, I'm telling you, I've had everything in them. So I get a call one time and the guy's like, yeah, my toilet won't flush. So I go over. Eventually what he tells me is he has a great big husky dog that when he goes out to scoop the poop in the backyard, instead of throwing it in a garbage bag, he's flushing it, pine needles, leaves, everything straight down the toilet. I just don't know what goes through people's heads someday. So don't do that, okay? But that's why I had to go in and plunge that toilet. Let's put it that way. And it was not good. Nothing. So what you'll do, absolutely. And it's, it's all, even now, I still make a bit of a mess. But what I will do, if it, is, if it is flushing, but it's flushing really slow, turn the water off, flush it once. So what that'll do is it'll get almost all the water out of the tank. Okay, that's the first thing. But second thing, you're still going to have water in the bowl. There's different ways you can do it. There's a, like an $8 suction pump you can get at Harbor Freight. You stick it down in, it's got a rubber hose, you pull it up, it's like a syringe, and you dump it into a bucket. If you can do that, that's great. What I did for years was I'd just take my wife's nastiest bath towels, and I would just stick them in there and soak the water up. Or old rags. She didn't like it, but I didn't tell her. So, but yeah. So, and when you do that, something else that's kind of cool. You know those, um, I don't know, Irwin and different companies make them, they're like clamps, and you, you pull them together and they get closer and closer together. If you take the end piece off and flip it around, it'll become a spreader instead of a clamp. So you can actually put it in under the rim of the toilet, tighten it out, and then grab that as a handle and lift the toilet bowl off the, yeah. So it's a lot easier for lifting a, a toilet up. So it's, it's a pretty cool little hack. I like that one. So this one right here is always fun. When I get calls from tenants from property management and they'll say, my kitchen sink's clogged, or no, usually it's the bathroom. And I'll be like, yeah. There's girls in the house and you know, I have four, four daughters in my home and I know it's usually hair or if it's in the kitchen, it's grease. And I'll say, have you tried anything? And they're like, yep. I went to the hardware store and I bought the four most caustic sewer cleaners you're ever gonna find. And I dumped every one of them in the sink. And I'm like, oh cool, I said, you just created mustard gas, you're doing good. So what I'll do is I'll end up showing up there and there'll be you know stagnant water with fat and grease on it and some sort of yellow or pink foam coming off the top, right? So what you should do before you go and do any of that, if you get yourself a little gallon ice cream pail, slide it in under the sink, and you see that little knob right there? That's also called a clean out. This piece right here is called a P-trap. When I was a 13-year-old boy, I thought that meant something totally different. <laughs> but it's only because it's in the shape of a P or an S. Some, some people call them an S-trap. So you put that pot under there. Sometimes that's only hand tight. Sometimes it takes an adjustable wrench. Open that up. You're going to get stinky, skunky water down out of there. But almost always, that's a trap that holds water to keep sewer gas from coming back up. When you have that in there, that's the low spot. Grease, hair, all that junk collects in there. A lot of times you can open it up right there, fish out whatever nasty stuff is in there, maybe use a coat hanger or whatever. Eight times out of ten, that works without me ever needing to put any sort of, I know you, good to see you. Yeah, eight times out of 10, it will clear that completely out and you'll be good to go. So, oh yes, Darlin, go ahead. This right here, so that's a cap, that's a clean out cap. That's the lowest point. Really, is that, isn't that against code? Maybe only in Canada. So, okay, here, here's the thing. If they don't have that, yep, if they don't have that, a lot of them, not always, are gonna have a break apart union there and there that you can turn and pull the whole thing off. So, it, they're both fairly simple, but you know, they are what they are. All right, we're gonna talk about this in just a minute, a little more, but a leaking pipe. We get this a lot. Uh, things freeze in Canada, I know it's hard to believe, but it does occasionally. So get yourself, we're gonna talk about these a little more, but a shark bite fitting is really good. So you can cut out that frozen piece that cracked or a little leak. We'll talk about that in a minute, but Learn how to plug or fix a little leak in a plumbing. It's gonna save you a lot. There's other things you can do. I've bought magic wrap tape that supposedly works for that. It never worked for me. I've bought this clamp out of England. 
it was actually pretty good, but it was like $75. But it was something you could go in on a weekend. If something was leaking, put the entire thing over it, tighten it down and it would seal it off. But honestly, we'll talk about these shark bites in a minute. They're probably the easiest way to do it. One more. Frozen pipes. Anybody here ever deal with frozen pipes? Okay, so you do, that's cool. So here we go. We get it a lot up in Canada, but what ends up happening is most times when you have pipes that have frozen, unless you've been gone to Cancun for eight days or something, they're not that frozen. You've just noticed your water isn't working anymore. And what happens is the reason typically things freeze like that is there's somewhere where the air infiltrates. So it's gonna be an air leak in your home somewhere that's pushing that cold air in and when the wind blows, it's right against that. So what you need to do is you need to find the frozen spot in your pipe before it bursts. So especially post COVID, everybody seems to have those point and click thermometers with them, right? So if you've got one that'll go down to freezing, point it at your pipe, turn it on. I've done this from up to 10 feet away and you just follow the pipe. That's with the laser ones, of course, but just follow the pipe until you find the absolute coldest spot. And that's your frozen clog in there. Then you go and take your wife's nicest blow dryer that you can find <laughs> and you use it to heat it up. And as you're heating it up, tap it a little bit. And what'll end up happening is you don't have to thaw that entire ice block that's in there. You just need to free it up a little bit. But be careful because sometimes if it's totally frozen, don't do that. Or if it's frozen long sections, it can burst and can be kind of dangerous. But if you notice it was working an hour ago and it's now not working, that's the easiest way to use things that you have in the home to fix a frozen pipe. All right. So this was the one, one of the things I didn't have last year. Everybody's like, but I want to know what to buy. I'm like, I know it's okay, but that's what I do. I just want to know the stuff that I can have that'll make me feel better. Right. But not really, but here. So there's six on here. These are six of my favorite things that I use all the time for my maintenance. These are, anybody know what those are? Shark bites. These are great. Now, you would never want to plumb an entire house with these because that little guy there's 10 to $15 a piece in Canada now, and they're still almost 10 bucks US. But it's a lot cheaper than $150, $200 service call for a plumber. So like I said, if you, everybody here can use a handsaw, a hacksaw. All right, good. So if you can do that and you have a pinhole leak in your plumbing, cut on either side of that, cut it out, and then you can pop that in. And all that is, is you take the pipe, other side, and it's done. Watertight, it will last for decades. They're designed for that. They're friction fit with a rubber, but they work. Keep a cup. So that will work on copper pipe and it'll work on poly pipe, which are PEX pipe, which is uh, the very common plastic that's in homes now. And it'll even work on CPVC, which was really common in the nineties in homes. So it'll actually work on three different types of pipe. And you can put copper in one side and plastic in the other. So they're great. Now, like I said, I wouldn't have a ton of them, but if you have half inch pipe in your home, keep two or three of those half inch ones in your repairedness toolbox. If you have three quarter, keep a couple of those. All right, these I just found recently, they are called Wago, Wago fittings. They're electrical fittings. You guys know them little twisty electrical connections that if you don't hold your tongue right, you go to put it up and it falls out. You're like, okay, I'll get it right this time. You go to put it up again and it falls out a second time. These, these are great. So all that is, is you flip the orange thing up, you stick the wire in, flip it down, it's done. So you can put, they got one, two, three, four, or five connections. Wago, W-A-G-O. And they are incredible for making, yes, Daryl. So if you're installing a light fixture or those connections need to be in a box that you have access to. So if it's behind a light fixture, you wouldn't want to put that in behind drywall. But if you needed to make a quick repair on an electric wire or something, and this is, you know, this is um, depending on where your comfort level is. Some people will work with electrical, some won't, but it's made things really easy. So if you're trying to put a new light in, instead of using those little twist things that never want to hold, you just snap them on and they work great. All right, this is the best gas stabilizer on the market. PRI-G. They also make one for diesel. It's PRI-D for diesel. I don't know who came up with that. It's pretty ingenious. So anyway, this is the only fuel stabilizer on the market that'll do two things. Number one, it'll allow you to infinitely re-treat gas. All the other gas treatments on the market, like stable and that sort of thing, they'll tell you you can treat it once and that's it for 12 months. This you can retreat every year and it will last. It's the most expensive per bottle, but it's the least expensive per gallon of gasoline to treat. That little guy there, 
I think that's the 250, yeah, 256 gallon and he's about that big. It doesn't take much. Now, the other thing it'll do is it'll bring old gas back to life. So there was a government department a few years ago. I read the report on it and I can't remember which one it was. And we would, they, they had like thousand gallon, thousands of gallons of tanks of gas. They used that to retreat it and they didn't have to dispose of it. So it works really good. But it's, I th who said that? I can't see. Yeah, I think it was diesel. I'm pretty sure. But they, you can use it for gasoline or diesel. It will bring it back with it. All right, seafoam. This is what I call magic in a can, and I love it. This thing is the type of stuff that will work for, so if you have a, a gas engine that's chugging or doing its thing and not really running nice, and you're like, what am I gonna do with this? A lot of times it has to do with a sticky carburetor or gum, a gummed up carburetor, or you just left old gas in there. You can, you know, dump. Yes, plugged up ejectors, and this stuff will work. And I don't even know the science behind it, but I've used it for many years. See, you go and you put a couple of scientific measurements of glugs in there, glug, glug, put it in your gas tank, run it. Once it works its way through the entire system, you'll get kind of gray or white um, exhaust that comes out. Eight times out of 10, it'll clear things up and it works really well. Beyond that, sometimes you have to take it to a, yes. So for those last two, like for what? Like for, for like a lawnmower? Yeah, lawnmower, weed whipper, blower, any small gas engine that you'd have out in your shop, okay. anything like that. No, but. Works great for um, generators that you've let set too long as well. Next one's fire spray. I know we're getting close here, guys. We'll finish up for you. Yes, that's what it, okay. yep, it'll clean out the carb. It also works as its own fuel stabilizer and it will actually work in, uh, it works as a lubricant as well. So this is first alert fire spray. These are like the little brother of a fire extinguisher. They're in a, uh, an aerosol can that works as a fire extinguisher. I bought two of these at Costco for like 30 bucks a couple of years ago when my girls were 10 years old. I was doing a YouTube review video on it and I started a little fire in a pot out back and I handed it to my daughter and I said, here, use it. Never told her anything about it. She took the cap off, pushed the button and sprayed it. It's dead simple. And what I like about them is they're, they're cheap too. Now it's not a complete replacement for a fire extinguisher, but most people will buy a fire extinguisher and then they'll forget to get it re, you know, recertified for the next however many years. So that, that works really well. I'm gonna skip through these so we can finish up here. And that one is an electric tester pen. That's from Klein Voltage. And what it does, you turn it on, you touch a wire. If it's live, it beeps. If it's dead, it doesn't. I should have bought that many years ago, but it's one of my, it's a, somebody say, what was it? Yeah, yeah, well, kind of like a circuit. They have more fancy circuit tracers too, but that'll just, if you're working on an electric plug and you want to know is the plug live or not, instead of licking your finger and touching the wire, you just, <laughs> you just stick it in, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, so here's the thing. This is what I wanted to do at the very end for you. I want to empower you guys to feel like, hey, I can absolutely do this. One of my favorite Canadian philosophers, Red Green, says... Uh, I'm rooting for you. We're all in this together. And that I go to say that, you know, come on the YouTube channel, find me on YouTube, podcast, email, whatever. If you're ever having trouble, reach out to me because I love to answer people's questions. So do you guys remember where we left Bob? Anybody remember Bob? In the elevator. He had a big smile, right? I didn't tell you the whole story. So here's the deal. As the elevator closes, Bob has a big smile on his face and all of a sudden he panics and he goes, Oh, somebody jumped. Good. I always do that. <laughs> he gets so scared because all of a sudden he felt overwhelmed. The baby steps worked until they didn't. He got in that elevator. He got the carburetor tore completely apart on his weed whipper and he panicked on a Sunday afternoon. And he thought, oh my goodness, what do I do? You guys are going to have that moment when you're trying to tackle something like this. And what I want you to remember is that crazy Canadian who scared me up on the stage and think, okay, what do I do? And what was his mantra? Baby steps. So don't think about the entire project and how overwhelming it is. Think about the next thing you can do to make it right, to fix it. Because if you stand in an elevator and scream to the top of your lungs, you're gonna get nothing done. So remember, baby steps. So thank you guys. Yes, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Let me grab some water. Toolman Tim's Workshop. Yep. And you can find uh, the podcast is Workshop Radio. But if you type Toolman Tim into YouTube, it'll, it'll, it'll come up for you. I saw a hand. Yes, sir. Earlier you said there 
first one was listening, but I didn't catch the other two. Was it listening or was it troubleshooting? Oh yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so it's it's be taught. So basically, you have somebody else show you. So either a teacher shows you, or you watch a YouTube video. The next step is do it with help. So do it with somebody who knows what they're doing, and then the third time is do it by yourself. Sorry about that. I I get going in my you know verbal diarrhea, right? So yeah. Workshop radio. But if you type in Toolman Tim or Toolman Tim's workshop, it'll all come up. If you come over to the desk, over to my um, whatever table, I'll give you some stickers so you won't forget me by it. So, yeah. No, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Your name? Ethan. Ethan. Tim. Yeah. Trisha. Trisha. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Take care.